First Kings chapter number 17. If you're a student of the Word of God, then you're probably familiar that this is a pivotal moment in the history of the nation of Israel. And we are introduced to a man here uh, that will become integral to their uh, development as a nation and, and to what God's doing in the land. Uh, he is an Old Testament prophet by the name of Elijah. And this is the first time that we're ever introduced to Elijah in the Old Testament. He, in fact, would become so sort of iconic regarding the ministry of the prophet uh, that he would become the, the sort of the mascot, the, the individual by whom the ministration of prophets would be identified by, that uh, when we would talk about the law and the prophets, meaning the way that God spoke to men in the Old Testament, uh, they would be represented by Moses for the law and Elijah for the prophets. So he's a very important individual in the history of Israel as a nation. And we are introduced to him, and it's not during a time of, of great blessing that he is introduced, but rather it is during a time of great judgment that he is introduced. And uh, man, I'm, I'm glad to just report to you tonight that it don't matter what's going on in the White House, in your house, in the, in the Grain House, amen, it don't matter what's going on, God's still working, amen. And, uh, you know, sometimes I tell you, it's easy to get overwhelmed at all of the wickedness in the world, it's easy to get overwhelmed at all of the obstacles that we face, but I'm glad to know that none of that has God overwhelmed, amen. He sits on the circle of the earth, he reigns in the heavens, he's above all of it, you can't overwhelm him. And uh, we learn in this chapter a little bit about what it's like living during these times. So I want you to notice with me, we'll begin at verse number 1, read down to verse number 9. First Kings chapter 17, verse number 1, the word of God says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, Ahab is the king over Israel, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. It came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing to be in your house. I pray that you use the word of God in our hearts, in our minds. May it fortify us for these days that we're living in. Lord, may it challenge us. May it convict us in areas of our life that may not be in the correct place and correct adjustment concerning you and your word. I just pray that you deal with us in a way that would be for our good, but ultimately and before all that would be for your glory. We'll be sure to thank you for what takes place. Lord, we love you tonight. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. When we think about this moment in the history of the nation of Israel, when we think about this moment in the history of Elijah, I think verse number one really summarizes what these days were like and what it was like living during these times. Now remember, Israel as a people have been living in rebellion against God. They've been living in a personal spiritual rebellion against the Lord. They've been living in national religious rebellion against the Lord. They've been living in moral societal rebellion against the Lord. I mean, things could not be worse in the nation of Israel in regards to their spiritual temperature, so to speak. 
And God calls upon Elijah to walk right into the throne room of Ahab, the king of Israel, and pronounce boldly and unequivocally the principle, the truth, the precept, the prophecy, the command of the Lord. He walks in and he doesn't he doesn't take a poll. He doesn't take a vote. He doesn't debate it. He doesn't dispute it. He just merely walks in and says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now, when I think about this, this is obviously a pronouncement of judgment. And Israel was a people that for the next three and a half years would live under the judgment of God. I don't know about you, but it makes me think of the country that we're living in today. I believe we're living under the judgment of God. And that does not mean that God is not working. Indeed, it means God is expressly working. But much of what we're seeing around here, and listen, we can all follow threads and lines to this cause and that cause and this cause and that cause. But you understand that America, if she ever prospered, she only did it by the grace of God. And if she's not prospering today, and I think we'd all agree that things aren't the way that we wish that they were, uh, if she's not prospering today, there may be a, a myriad of human causes, but ultimately it's because God has permitted those causes to arise in our land, and God is dealing with our country, trying to draw our attention and our focus back to Him. We no doubt, just as Israel of old, are living under the judgment of God. Now, I wish I could tell you, and God has this ability, but it often is not how God works. I wish I could tell you that as God judges the world, that it's not going to affect the people of God. I wish I could tell you that He would deal with uh, all those wicked folks that do you wrong and me wrong and, you know, cause all of our problems. You know, that's everybody but us, right? We don't cause any of our own problems. It's everybody else. Uh, but, I, you know, I wish I could tell you God's going to deal with all those people. It's never going to affect your life. You're going to be supernaturally, miraculously preserved from all of the suffering, all of the pain, all of the want that comes from living in a nation under the judgment of God. But I find when I read my Bible, that's not the case. Hey, it quit raining for three and a half years, and even the brook that Elijah was sitting beside, sooner or later, even it dried up. It displaced Elijah. It inconvenienced Elijah. And Elijah, even as God's man, I think we could probably say, though he was not a perfect individual, James says in the New Testament that he was of like passions as we are. What that means is he was a human being. Uh, he had flesh and blood and emotions and, and feelings and opinions and those things just like you do, just like I do. But nonetheless, he was God's man, and even Elijah had to suffer under the results and ramifications of living in a nation under the judgment of God. When we read verse number seven or verse number one of chapter seventeen, we we get a a succinct description of what life for the next three and a half years would be like. It would be a time of deprivation. It would be a time of famine. It would be a time of want. It would be let, let's just use this term. It was going to be lean times in the land of Israel. I want to preach to you tonight on this thought, living in lean times. I don't know about you, but we've seen some leaner times than we would like over the past few months and years. And I don't know, I, you know, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not the son of a prophet, and I, I don't have a crystal ball, and neither do you, but if things continue on the trajectory they look like, we're not headed for less pain, we're headed for more pain. But can I just report to you that as God's people, we have everything we need to live during these lean times. And when we look at Elijah, we see an example of how you go through these lean times in life. Now, first I want to just say, when I say lean times, that can really mean a few different things. There are times Israel had been prospering uh, financially at this time in their history, but they had not been prospering in the matter of faith. And when you look at this three and a half years, I think there's three types of leanness that we could notice that would frame our message tonight. Let me say, number one, that it was a spiritually lean time. 
It was a time when there was not much faith in the land. There weren't very many people serving God. There wasn't much regard for the Word of God and the truth of God. And you would have been hard-pressed to find it was not in the popular culture to uplift the name of Jehovah, to exalt the Lord God of Israel, to follow His Word, to obey His commandments. This was a time when the Word of God was being trodden underfoot, when paganism and idolatry was running rampant through the land. And if you were like Elijah, I mean, remember, he may begin to exist to us in this verse, But he didn't begin to exist in this verse. He had been living. He was a grown man at this point. His righteous heart had been grieved, no doubt, for years by the wickedness of the land. And he had been living through a time where, let's just say it this way, it wasn't easy to be a person of the Bible. It wasn't easy to be a person that loved the Lord. It wasn't easy to be a person. In fact, later on, when you come in chapter number 19, after he has had this sort of showdown on Mount Carmel, and he's prayed and God's answered by fire and He comes back to Jezreel and he sees the threatenings that have been breathed out against his life. He grows discouraged and he flees into the wilderness. And here's his complaint. He said that I and I alone am left of the prophets in Israel. He says no one else loves the Lord. No one else knows God. No one else cares about the things of the Lord. Now, we often criticize Elijah for that. And I will simply say this. God does correct him for that. He does remind him that the plan of God doesn't rise and fall on Elijah. God's doing a lot of things at at a lot of times. And I just remind you, and I'm thankful for this, that God's plan ain't hinging on you or on me. God's smarter than to put all of his eggs in a basket you or I am holding. But the impression that Elijah has is not that far off. I mean, if you'd been living in Elijah's day, hey, there's there's more people, righteous people, more people that knew and loved God in Elijah's day than he realized. There sure wasn't as many as he wished there was. I would say we're living in times that are spiritually lean as well. Times when the Word of God is not revered, it's not respected, it's not regarded, it's not obeyed, it's not loved, it's not cherished. And we sit here in this church and, and worship together on this Wednesday night and one of the reasons it's so refreshing is it's nice just to look across the room at people that know and love God. Because when you walk up and down the street, chances are you're not going to find very many people that really know and really love the Lord. It's spiritually lean times where even that which is is touted as religious oftentimes has no grounding in the Word of God and has no value in the economy of God. It was a spiritually lean time. There wasn't much faith in the land. Then I would say this, it's worth noting that it was a financially lean time. Now, it hadn't been leading up to it, but it was getting ready to be. They were going to suffer a great drought in the land. In fact, so much so that we find out during this three and a half years that Ahab sends men out all throughout the land of Israel to try to find places where there's water, to try to find places where they can water their cattle and feed their cattle because the entire land is perishing due to a lack of financial prosperity. We could say it this way, there wasn't much faith in the land, but there wasn't much food in the land either. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and give you a bunch of predictions and dire and terrifying things there. They're out there. If you want to look, you'll find plenty of people that are convinced that the world's going to end in the next 20 minutes. Uh, now, I don't know how bad it's going to get. Uh, you know, I, I believe this. I believe the church isn't going to live through a second of the tribulation period. But I also believe even though we're not going to live through a second of the tribulation period, that does not mean that things are going to be good leading up to the rapture. I don't know how bad things are going to get. I know we got less food than we had two years ago. Uh, I know uh, what we can get our hands on costs us about twice what it did two years ago. Uh, I know we're living in lean times and things are beginning to look leaner. But can I remind you, hey, uh, God is providential and sovereign when things are good and when things are bad. Uh, Listen, the storehouses of heaven, they ain't running short on nothing. 
Uh, God's got everything He needs to meet the people's needs that have placed their faith in Him. So it was a time that was financially lean. There wasn't much food in the land. But then I would say this. It was a time that was socially lean. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, there were not many friends in the land, at least not for Elijah. This isolation that he describes later on was palpable to him. And of course, he spends a period of time. We don't know how long. We know it was uh, more than a day because the ravens fed him in the uh, morning and in the evening. We know it was less than three and a half years because the whole drought ended in three and a half years. But a period of time could have been days, weeks, months, or, or, or over a year or two years. We don't know how long, but he dwelt alone by the brook chair. Can I say that loneliness and isolation has a sort of, of wearing ability, of, of degrading ability, has a sort of exhausting and depleting ability all its own. One of the things that we learned painfully so over these past two, three years is you can't just take people and stick them alone in the room and say, hey, here's, here's Netflix and food grub and just live. It's not, it's not conducive to the human spirit and human soul. God created us to be together. God created us to be around each other. Uh, God created us to have, and listen, as people of God, we need fellowship. There's a reason God told us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We need that, amen? We need social interaction. But Elijah had to live in a time when it was socially lean, when he felt isolated, ostracized, and alone. And yet we find that Elijah made it. He lived through it. In fact, we would say this, he didn't just survive it, but he thrived in it, and God worked and moved and dealt and grew his life in a way that gave God glory, was good for Elijah, and was good for the nation of Israel. I'm just telling you, hey, listen, even during these times, God's still doing things. And God's still working in your life if you'll let Him work in your life. One of the most frustrating things of these days that we're living in is the constant feeling of a hamster on a wheel, feeling like we're making no progress, like the goals that we've set have been somehow postponed and set aside. i got news for you. God's calendar and His clock is running just like it always did. He is not discouraged, disheartened, or defeated by the things that we're facing. And we don't have to be either. That does not mean that things are always going to transpire in a way that you wish they wouldn't. It doesn't mean that you won't feel as though your focus has to be readjusted and that goals and plans and ideas that you have won't have to be uh, derailed or detoured or, or dethroned from your priorities. But it does mean in all of it that God can continue to work in your life. How can we make sure that that happens? I want you to notice three simple things. You ain't going to believe me, but I'm about done preaching tonight. You don't believe me. I know that. So, preacher, what do we do? What do we do in these lean times we're living in? Preacher, it's going to get worse. I know, probably that's true. Preacher, you don't understand. No, I probably don't. But I know that God's word is true. And I know the things that God did for Elijah, he can do for us. But what do we need to do? Notice verse number two. The Bible says this. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. It shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed thee there. You know, the first thing you ought to do is in these lean times, keep following his word. The thing that set the direction and course for Elijah's life was the word of the Lord. Uh, whenever this happened, and by the way, the, the, the plan didn't show up until the faith had first expressed itself. Uh, it wasn't that God came to Elijah and said, now sit down, son, I've got this great plan laid out, and I want you to sign off on everything, the initial right here. Tell me what you think about this right here, and maybe we can adjust this. He said, Elijah, go in, speak to Ahab, tell him there's not going to be any rain. Elijah said, yes, sir, that's what I'll do. He went in, he told Ahab that, and then immediately afterward, then God spoke to him. 
and said, Elijah, now you need to know step two. And here's step two. And he tells him to go and hide himself by the book chair. It reminds me that if we'll do what we know to do, then God will take care of the things we don't know to do. If we will obey the Word of God, if we will take the steps of faith that God calls on us to take, I'm not talking about uh, taking our wild ideas and signing God's name to it and calling it faith, but I'm talking about if we'll just keep following the Word of God, obeying it, making it the rule and guide of principle and faith in our life, then God will guide and direct us step by step for each step of the journey. Oftentimes we have this notion, this idea that when things get difficult, then all of a sudden we can lean on our own ingenuity. But that was not Elijah's philosophy. He understood that God had brought this judgment and God could bring him through this judgment. That God had brought him to this problem and God could bring him through this problem. But in order for God to do that, he was going to have to keep following the word of God. Don't give up on what you know to be right. Doesn't matter if the world excuses it. Doesn't matter if other Christians excuse it. Doesn't matter if it becomes culturally acceptable. None of that matters. Hey, all that matters is what saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Keep following the Word of God. Keep going to church. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Uh, keep living right. Keep doing right. Don't just because things get lean in your life, don't abandon what you know to be true, what you know to be the clear command of God. He goes and he hides himself beside the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And by the way, this was not or would not have seemed to have been conducive to solving his problem. And there are times when the word of God seems counterintuitive to our goals. There's times that we can't draw a straight line between a command of Scripture and the solution that we're seeking. But i got news for you. It's not our job to puzzle out how God's going to do what he's going to do. It's our job to trust him that he's a promise-keeping God. And if we'll obey his word and honor his word, then he will honor that obedience and honor us, and he will respond in our lives. Well, keep following his word no matter what. So he goes and he dwells by the brook Cherith. God gives him a very interesting plan. He says, you're going to hide yourself, verse number 3, by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. Okay, check. I understand that. That's no problem. And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. That would have been the record scratch moment for me as me and God are talking about this. I wouldn't have had much questions about that first part, drink of the brook Cherith. I could handle that. But when God says he's going to have ravens bring me food, at that point I've got some questions about this, this plan. Uh, for one thing, you probably couldn't pick much nastier of an animal to bring it to. You know, can I remind you this? Sometimes trusting God is a humbling thing. And let me say this particularly, and I don't mean to make it this kind of an issue, but I, I, this is what's on my heart, so I'm going to say it. Particularly for us men, it's a humbling thing. We like to think that we're the ones providing. We like to think that we're the ones that have control over all of it. We like to think that we're the ones that have the mastery of the whole situation. Sometimes, man, you're going to have to, you're just going to have to be honest in saying, honey, I, I don't know, but I know we can trust the Lord. I don't have an answer. I don't have a plan, but I know we can trust God. We're doing this in obedience to the Word of God, and we're trying to live for the Lord. And, honey, we're just going to have to look to the Lord to meet our needs. Man, what a nasty animal it was sent. What an unlikely, unusual source that would be sent. And what an incomprehensible process and plan this is. Can I just say, undoubtedly, there are a thousand simpler ways that God could have performed this. And yet God does it in an unusual way. God does things in ways that are unusual to us. The Bible says clearly his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. 
But God promised Elijah every morning, every evening, there's going to be ravens and they're going to bring you food. So verse number five says, so he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. Now, the temptation would have been, and I'll tell you where my mind would have been. First time that raven showed up with a Big Mac, I would have been just floored, right? I can't believe what has just happened. But I would begin to think to myself, you know, how foolish it is for me to just sit and depend on this bird to show up. Maybe I can do a little something to help my situation. Maybe, maybe it's not wise to just depend on this day by day. And it wouldn't have been long, I would have been straying from the brook chair. I would have been going out hunting, looking for food, trying to sneak up and scare up something. But Elijah doesn't do that. You know what he does? He just stays right where God told him to and keeps looking to the Lord. I would say it this way. Number one, keep following his word. But number two, keep feeding at his hand. Don't run and try to fix it yourself. Wait on God to do what you cannot do. Now, let me be abundantly clear here. If there's something that you can and should under command of the word of God do, by all means do it. God's not calling us to inaction, apathy, or negligence, or laziness. But had Elijah ran off and tried to solve this himself, he would have been walking away from the clear command of God. God told him to stay by the brook chair. And he would have been abandoning the plan and call of God, abandoning the word of God, the commandment of God, to try to perform it in the energy of his own flesh and his own ability. And so he was willing and wise enough to just be patient, And every day, I promise you he did. And listen, he'll prove me right when we get to heaven. I'm going to point it out to you. I promise you every morning he was up at the sun, staring at the heavens, wondering when he was going to see that raven come over the hill. Now, by the way, and there's a lot more we could say about all of this. And there's probably a lot of typology in here that regards the flesh and death and a lot of different things. But can I just notice something? Now, somebody's going to say, well, preacher, you know, raven's a carrying bird. I mean, you know, it ain't no big deal for them to, to bring flesh to him. I mean, it wouldn't be uncommon for you to see a raven flying around with flesh in his mouth. But where did he get the biscuits? The Bible says he brought him bread. Bread and flesh. Now, you can believe anything you want. I, I lean towards believing I know where that bread came from. They had some leftover manna up in heaven. And God just went ahead and sent Elijah's way. But suffice it to say, God was divinely, miraculously meeting Elijah's needs in this moment. And how tempting it would have been for him to quit leaning on the Lord and start trusting in himself and trying to perform it in his own means and in his own manner. But you know what we have to do? We just have to keep feeding at his hand. Just remember that he's not running short. Uh, if it's financial leanness, he's got, he, listen, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Maze Jackson, you say, and he owns the hills and the taters in the hills too. Uh, but if it's spiritual leanness, let me just remind you, hey, the Lord has the spiritual bread that we need. If it's social, emotional leanness, if it's a leanness that comes from a sense of ostracization or isolation or emotional struggle and battle, whatever it is that we're facing, I just remind you, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's the God of all comfort. There's not a need you have that he can't meet. So don't get nervous on God. Just keep feeding at his hand. Let me give you one more and I'm done tonight. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Preacher, what do I do during these lean times? One, keep following his word. 
Keep doing what you know is right. Don't give up on it. Number two, keep feeding at His hand. Don't try to take it into your own control. Don't try to take it into your own hands. If there's something God has commanded you on the authority of His Word, and even the witness of common sense, that if you have the ability to rectify it, by all means do so. But when it would mean ceasing to depend on the Lord, when it would mean walking away from the Lord, then don't do that. Just keep trusting Him. Keep feeding at His hand. But then there's a third thing here, and I would say it this way. Keep faith in His plan. I can tell you what would have gone through my mind as I saw that brook grow smaller. I would have thought to myself, God is failing me. Let me tell you how the human mind works and how the flesh works. His flesh would have shouted down every single day that that brook kept running strong and gloated over the dryness of that brook when it ran dry. He would have said, God's failed you, God's failed you, God's failed you, ignoring all the days that God had been faithful and instead flaunting and gloating the supposed appearing failure of God in that moment. And Elijah had a choice he had to make. The brook had dried up. And we don't know how much time passed, but I think it can be rightly assumed that there was some time at least between when the brook dried up and when the word of the Lord came unto him. If for no other reason, simply because this brook drying up through natural means, and that's how it did dry up, would not have dried up in one moment. It wouldn't have been like you turned a faucet off. It would have gotten less and less and less and less until finally it went dry. And as Elijah's watching this, I'll tell you what I would have probably done, what you would have been tempted to do, would have been to get up and try to move on and search for better waters. Say, well, God's messed up. This is why we're going through what we're going through is God's messed up. He's dropped the ball. Can't trust him anymore. We better go figure this out on our own. But Elijah was wise enough to give God a chance, a chance to move, a chance to work, a chance to answer. And by the way, uh, there was never, hey, there wasn't a moment that Elijah was suffering without him. God never broke a single promise. God never said that brook was going to run forever. What he said is that while Elijah was beside the brook, God was going to provide for him and meet his needs. And God met his needs even after the brook dried up. God had not lied. God had not failed. But in that moment, no doubt, his flesh would have felt like God had failed. And it would have been tempting to give up on God's plan and go your own way. Here's what we do, silly people that we are. We'll set these standards of living before God. We'll say, now, God, this is what I need out of life. This is what I want out of life. And then if God asks us, even for a moment, to do without something that is not what we need, but it's just something we like and enjoy, desire, and have grown accustomed to, we'd be arrogant enough to shake our fists at God and say, now, God, why'd you let me down? The reality is this. You've never done without. Now, I'm not saying you've never suffered any want in your life, but I'm saying since you've been saved and living for God, God has kept his promises to you. He has given you no cause to think that he will not provide for you. You can trust him. Keep faith in his plan. Keep trusting in him. Keep, Hey, listen, when it gets difficult, just lean into the Lord. Don't lean away from him. Lean into him. Don't, don't say, well, now, I don't know if I can trust him. Say, oh, boy, we better trust him right now as things get tougher. And you know what you'll find? You'll find even during these lean times, God can meet every need that you have. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord this evening. If God touched your heart, I want you to meet him down on this altar and talk to him about whatever it is he dealt with you about in your heart and in your mind. Could be there's some area where you've, your flesh has been saying that to you, has been saying, well, you're going to have to just quit this dependent on the Lord. You're going to have to quit this silly serving the Lord. You're going to have to quit this leaning on God because he's not going to get the job done for you. Hey, won't you come down and ask the Lord to help quiet your flesh? Maybe some area of your life where 
uh, you felt like you've been done unjustly, like God didn't meet a need that He should have, why don't you come down and say, Lord, help me with my spirit. Help me with my attitude. Help me to trust you. Maybe some area of your life where you've, you've given yourself, your flesh has given you a break. Say, so, well, you don't have to serve in the way you used to. Things is different now. Things is tougher now. Why don't you come down and just remind yourself that your flesh is telling you a lie and that the Word of God is always true. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name. We pray.